The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Much better. <laughs> you might need to like move over here or something. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to shine your light into this place and uh, illumine our minds and hearts with the truth that we would know you and love you and walk with you. Use your word towards that end this morning, we pray. Build your people and honor your son. Amen. God loves me. Three words makes a very simple sentence. But most of us don't really understand what that sentence means. And I'm not talking about how the world in general commonly overlooks sin and rebellion and just assumes that people are pretty good and worthy of being loved by God. I'm not talking about that. And I'm also not talking about how we people commonly misdefine, redefine, rework the word love and get it wrong. I know all those things happen, sure, but that's not what I'm talking about. I mean most of us in the church people who don't overlook or discount sin and people who don't misdefine or redefine love or at least who are alert to the danger and know what God means by the word. Us. Christians, people in Christ, and I include me in that us too. Most of us don't really understand the simple sentence, God loves me. And I say that not because I have great insight into people's minds, but I say that because Paul prayed for supernatural power for Christians to understand that sentence in the passage before us today in Ephesians. This morning is the second Sunday of Advent, four weeks leading up to Christmas that are designed to help us understand, remember, what God did when he sent his son into the world. And today we consider love, in particular the love that God brought to us in Christ. Something that on, on the one hand we're, we're all pretty familiar with here in the church. That, that's familiar to us. But Ephesians 3 reveals the love of God for his people is something that is very hard to understand and something that we don't really grasp. We don't really grasp the immensity of it, but we really need to for a variety of reasons. So Paul prayed about this topic, and as I said, he prayed for power, for God to do something supernatural so that we would understand that sentence, would, that God would work so that we would grow up in our understanding of what his love is like for his people, those of us who are in Christ. So that's what we're after this morning. 
to grow in our understanding of the sentence, God loves me. Passages before us this morning is a report of a prayer, and it has kind of two parts of request, and then, and then briefly one kind of uh, outcome, a concluding goal. So three components there, and that's how we're going to approach it with three observations. But first, let me read. This is Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's our passage. Two pieces of request and one, one concluding goal. Here's the first point, the first request. And as I get into this, I'm going to... I will necessarily be doing some analysis of the passage and talking about these points, but please don't miss, the, don't miss the, the big piece here. God loves me. What does that mean? That's what we're after this morning as we work through this passage. So don't, don't, let, don't let all the details cause us to miss the main point here. Here's the first point. May God strengthen you within so as to walk in profound union with Christ. So may God strengthen you within so as to walk, to, to live out, to, to live experiencing a profound union with Christ. If we were to step back from this passage and take a glance at the, at the whole book of Ephesians, we would realize that right here in our passage, we're, we're standing on a hinge in the book. What's coming up is chapter 4, in which Paul's going to begin to apply and give lots of instructions and commands. He's going to begin to apply in 4, 5, and 6 all that he's been talking about and teaching so far in 1, 2, and 3, what's come before. So he's been talking about God's glorious, gracious work to save his elect people, his chosen ones, out of our sin and rebellion and into union with Christ. The phrasing in Christ, in him, is all over this book. So he saved us out of sin and rebellion and, and put us into in union with Christ, spiritually uniting us with him, and then also putting us, what that means is putting us in a, in a body, a, a single body, Jewish people and Gentile people alike, all those who trust Christ and are united with Christ become one people of God, one new temple in, rich, in which Christ dwells. So Paul's been teaching that, he's finished teaching that, and now he's starting to pray that home. And you'll notice, if you look at 3.1, for this reason, it's the same way that our verse, for this reason, begins. He actually started to pray at the end of chapter 3, at the beginning of chapter 3, and then as sometimes happens, he got sidetracked and started to talk about a whole bunch of other stuff. And now he's come back, for this reason, because God has saved you and put you into a people in which he, by his Spirit, dwells. Now I'm going to pray. I bow before the Father. 
So he kneels before the Father in humble submission, and here's why. This is the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. All the families, not meaning like dad and mom and kids, but all the families like the human family, the angelic families, the animal kingdoms, the the plants, everything, every category of the creation, God named it. That is, exercised authority to create and decree over it. This is what it will be. This is how it will be. This is where it will be. I say so. I name. That's about authority, creation, and rule. Everything. Every family. He's that kind of a father. He's the ruler of all. And he has vast resources. Riches upon riches upon riches. He owns and has every capability. He has everything, and it is all good and sweet and right and glorious. And so that's the one I'm going to talk to, says Paul. I've been, I've been talking to you about all this stuff, but now I need to talk to him to ask him to make that real. So the Father who is in heaven, who has vast resources, I'm going to ask him to answer a prayer that is in accordance with the kind of God who has everything, and it's all good, glorious. Answer this prayer, Father. And then here's what he asks. Middle of verse 16. Will you give them, he's talking about Christians, the Ephesian church, and then he later says, along with all the saints, this, is, this would apply to all the Christians, would you give your people, Father, power that will strengthen them? He's asking God to give strengthening power for what? Because the, the power of God might, might apply to all kinds of different things. What, what, what specifically? Well, end of verse 16, beginning of 17, there are two phrases here in which Paul states and then restates differently so as to clarify what he's after. Lord, please strengthen your people with power. That would be a spirit work done in their inner person, in their hearts. Power for what, though? What, what sort of... Spirit power, would, would you want, Paul, what exactly? Okay, here's what I'm after. I want you, please, Father, in your children, in your people, would you do a powerful work by your Spirit so that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith? That's what I'm asking you. Would you so powerfully work to, to strengthen your people, that would be your Spirit at work in them, And what I want to see happen, Father, is that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. Make that happen, please, by your power. Which may seem a bit confusing because don't we already have that? If you're a Christian, Christ already dwells in your heart by faith. So, What's Paul asking for here? He uses a a very strong word for for dwell. What he's he's after is, yes, I know, I just taught you. I I know that Christ lives in you. What I'm about is him dwelling down deep in you. Ever had a filling put in at the dentist, cavity drilled out and a filling put in, and and they put the stuff in there. They use the tool and they pack it in there, and so it's in there, and then what do they do? They get what looks to me like a glue gun and they put it in your mouth and they turn it on for 30 seconds or 10 seconds or whatever 
And so what's in there is somehow cured, hardened. It's already there, but it's strengthened. That's what he's praying for. I know Christ is in them. They're, they're Christians. I know they believe. They're, they're Christians. Strengthen that. Maybe you could put it like this. I know he dwells in them, but, but, but Father, would you by your power make it so that Christ lives in them really down deep inside of them in their core? And, and these are the ones who believe, but would you strengthen them so that they really believe, so that they deeply trust, so that they widely surrender to him? That takes power from God. To make you strong in that way. Because there is all kinds of counter-challenge to that in the world. There's all kinds of, of alternative offers and all kinds of, of opposite presentations of reality. All kinds of alternative vision-capturing beauties. At least they look that way. So Christ lives in me. You and I, we know this. We, Christ lives in me, and I walk out into the world, and I say, ooh. What Paul's praying for is, would Christ so dwell in them? Would he be so central, so core? Would you create such a profound Christ-centeredness, a profound Christ-consciousness, a profound Christ-dependence, that when they carry him out into the world, they say, eh, eh. <laughs> There's something, but that's nothing. Because Christ in me is the hope of glory and my hope. Make that happen, Father. I've just taught that, but I can't make that happen with my words. You must, by your Spirit, powerfully work something in them to make this reality. Would you show them Christ? Notice very carefully here, I'm, I'm not saying, will you show them what's right, true, proper, appropriate? So, so really you could put it like this, there, there is really much less focus on the what and much more focus on the who. Show them Jesus and press him into them and cause them to trust him. So how are you with that? And what I mean is, how does it go for you when, when Christ, you're, you're a Christian, Christ lives in you. You're a Christian, Christ trusts you. But how does it go when you walk out in the world and see, how I presented it was see the attractions of the world, but maybe you could say see the fears of the world, see the threats of the world, see the temptations of the world. How's that going for you? In, in the place of, of that person at work or, or that bill or that report from the doctor, what, what rises up there, that or Christ? That or Christ? How's that going? He's the only one who will, who will, who will enable you to triumph over that threat. Not, not the right thing. Not I shouldn't be afraid. Not I, I should be, but him. Paul prays that Christ would dwell down deep within his people. 
at the core of their being. They would trust him. So show me Christ for me. Show me Jesus. Not just what I should be and should do, but show me this one towards the following end. Look at verse 17. This is the bridge into the second request. In my Bible, it's set off after the hyphen, that you being rooted and grounded in love. But what that reveals there is that that's what Paul thinks would have happened if the first request was answered. That you'd be rooted and grounded in love. So now then, I'm ready to move on to the second request. Show me Christ for me so that I would be rooted and grounded in love. Interesting, it comes around to love. I maybe thought it would come around to obedience, come around to holiness, come around to righteousness, or come around to service, or, or something like that, but it comes around to love. If he would cause Jesus to, to dwell deeply inside of me and cause me to trust him, what that would be is I would be like, like a plant rooted or like a building founded in this soil, love. Paul thinks Jesus displayed and Jesus rooted would be to plant me in love. Knowing for sure, knowing, knowing and seeing that all that God has done towards me, all that the way that God has been towards me, is love. Well, this bridges us into the next, the next observation, so we're going to move there in a second. But, but we, need, we need to stop for a second right there. This is, this is not really the end, so I don't want to hang out too, too long here. But, but just pausing right here to say, What's going to come is going to, we're going to move more towards love, but, but how Paul gets there is Jesus. Jesus here and deeper and stronger, more clear, more, more profound. So Christians, our, our privilege, our calling, our privilege is to set our eyes on a person Named Jesus. Not on the doctrines or the theology or the teachings of Jesus, on him himself. And of course, we see him in all of his teachings and doctrines. But look to Jesus and pray and read your Bible and think about doctrine and theology with show me Jesus. And move in me, Father, to trust him. So that I walk in a profound union with him. We, we all know if you're ever married or been around a marriage, you know that you know once a person says, I do, you're married, and you can't get more married than that. You can't get double married or triple married. You are really married, but of course, marriage relationships kind of can do this. They can ebb and flow. They can become stronger and weaker and distance and closer. And what he's praying for and what we should be focused on is union with this person, Jesus looking for him everywhere, praying that God would cause him to, to root himself in us. And what comes out of that, very interestingly, is love, which leads us to the second point. Second observation. May God strengthen you within 
so as to grasp the profound love of Christ for you. May God strengthen you within so as to grasp the profound love of Christ for you. So profound union with Christ was the first point, and now it's a profound love of Christ. So the end of 17, after, after the hyphen there, we get where the first request ends and the second one begins, rooted and grounded in love. I also want to ask you, Father, says Paul, to strengthen them in this way, to comprehend something with all the other Christians of the world and of time. What's the need? To comprehend. Which might, again, seem odd. Strength to comprehend doesn't right off fit. We might think of knowledge to comprehend, insight to comprehend, but strength doesn't immediately match. But that's what Paul asks for. Would you strengthen them so that they can comprehend? And if we think about that for a second, you realize that what he's saying is that we're not really dealing with an information problem here. Oh, sure. I'm rooted and grounded in love. I understand that God loves me. You're a Christian. You understand God loves you. you That's that the doctrine. You, you ascribe to that. You believe it. Yes. But he wants us to comprehend it, and that needs some power. A few years ago, I read the book Unbroken. Have you read that book? It's about a World War II American airman who survived a plane crash in the Pacific Ocean. Then who survived floating in a raft in the ocean for, I think it was like 45 days. Almost impossible. And who survived shark attack and survived plane attack, survived massive ocean storms, desperate thirst, and then was captured and survived several Japanese prisoner of war camps. You read that book and you get a pretty good idea what all that was like. It's there in, in detail. It's all really clear, described very accurately. There is no uncertainty about the facts. It is clear and amazing and overwhelming. Clear. But then they made a movie about the book. And if you watch the movie, you comprehend all of that differently. Better. There's, no, there's nothing different. There aren't any really different facts, but you can now see the facts differently, very, very clearly, lived out, acted out in color right in front of you. And so you get it. You get what it was really like. Except, of course, you don't. I'm in a climate-controlled movie theater with a bag of popcorn in my hand. And I'm completely sure that the shark is not going to eat me or him. He's the main character who survives unbroken. So while I'm sitting there tense and gripped, and like, oh my goodness, that would be awful. In some way I'm moved, in some way I see it, but I don't get it at all. 
I might say to him, I might, if, I, if I were to meet him, he, he's deceased now, but if I were to meet him, I would say, man, I, I, I'm so amazed by what you went through, and I, it was so gripping, and he would say, you have no idea. Yeah, I do. I read the book, and I saw the movie. You have no idea, because I don't. If I was to actually get, to actually comprehend that experience, some some supernatural power would have to come in and work inside of me to somehow transport me to another place back to 1944, 1945, and put me in the raft in the ocean to see a horizonless sea for a month and a half. I can't even comprehend that. That would take some sort of a power from outside of me to cause me to experience something that I don't know. Then I'd understand. And that kind of power is what Paul's talking about and what Paul's praying for here. You can read about it. And, and really, you could, you could see it depicted. I could describe it to you. And I am attempting and will attempt to describe it to you. But that doesn't touch it. So what I'm saying here really is that I, I am certain this sermon is going to fail. Because I can't succeed. It takes a power from outside of us to come into us and take what we see, take what we read, take what we intellectually understand and say, there, now you get it. Now you comprehend what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And here Paul again repeats himself so as to clarify what I mean, I'm talking about something that surpasses all knowledge. I want, you, I want them to know what they can't know, the love of God in Christ to them. They know the truth and they believe it, but they don't really get it. They've read the book and they've watched the movie, now pour out power. Please, Father, give them power, strengthen them so that they can experience this wide and long and high and deep, this endless, measureless, limitless love. You, you know it, but you, but you don't know it. You, you do know it, but you can know it more. No matter how much you know it, you can always know it more. You can have a better a wider, a fuller, a realer, a longer understanding and experience of God loves me. As wide and long and high and deep as you can imagine and then some, we can never get to a place where we will say, now I'm at the end of his love, I've gone far enough. We can never go so far that we're beyond it. You can never get so low. You can never descend so far into some sin and so far into some wandering away that you're beneath. His love won't go that low. No. And you can never get so high that you don't need his love. And you can never find anything, anything not anywhere, anywhere in the world that, that comprehends all that you need so that his love is, is not necessary. God, enable us Please, this is the prayer. Enable us, please, to comprehend that, the scope. Strengthen us so that we can know it. The love of God to you, for you, Christian.
first step we need to take, a theological step, really, the first step we need to take, this is really for our joy, is to understand that that doesn't actually begin with you. We talk about the phrase, to know the love of Christ. The first step we need to realize is that we're talking about the Christ who is a lover, God who is a lover. About God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit who is a great lover. Of his own glory first, of himself in all of his splendor. The Father, Son, and the Spirit, one God, an eternal community, though, in which, in that community, was this vast, wide, long, high, deep love, was any, into eternity past, never beginning. There is love. The Father looks upon the Son, upon the Spirit, and vice versa, and all around, and he all says to himself, glory and beauty, lovely and lovable. And from that love, he then created a creation. He, he spoke into existence a creation that was perfect and right, and he loved it too. And if you stop there and comprehend, this is a God who is love. He doesn't, he doesn't love is love. Then immediately uh, along comes us and we say, I have no business. I have no business being in the middle of that. Because I am not like that. And you aren't. I'm not. There is a, there is a glorious lover and then there is me. Then there is you. We have no business being in that because here is the God who loves himself and loves his glory and loves his creation. And then there is the creation in rebellion that rejected him and turned away. But this God is a God of such love that in fact, amazingly, he even loved the fallen creation. How does that happen? How does a God like that look upon and love a fallen creation? It's because he is a God who is rich in mercy, as Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. Rich in mercy. He's a great lover of himself and of his own glory and of his creation, and he is a lover of sinners. Rich in mercy. Had a great love for us. And he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. It's in, second, it's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. This is the God who looked upon sinners and loved them and looked upon us and chose us and in love assigned sinners to be in union with his Son and in love sent his Son to save sinners. This is a God of love loving, loving in Christ. A God who in love loved in Christ, recognized that our problem was sin, and then put onto his beloved son our, your sin. A God who desired sinners to be in communion with himself and did not want to reject them and forsake him, so instead rejected and forsook his beloved one, his son. 
This is alarming and amazing. It is a God who is a, a lover beyond anything you've ever imagined. And then what that means for you is that you are loved by this one beyond anything you can ever imagine. You are a chosen and created and fallen and sinful and sought out and saved and united to Christ Christian, which means you are an eternal target of the God of love who will fire on, hit, and then pour out onto you love upon love upon love upon love. This is the best Cupid arrow you've ever heard of. Because it's real. You are the object of omnipotent love, the object of omniscient love, the object of eternal love, of mercy and grace and goodness to gener and generosity and everything else you can ever imagine needing and everything that you could never imagine needing but need. Out of his glorious riches, he has it for you and will give it to you, his loved one. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his mercy and grace. He loves you and cannot love you more because he loves you infinitely. You are in his son. Beloved forever. You can't get away from that. And you don't want to. It is a blessing a sweet fortune to you. Good news. It is a love for you from him in Christ. He is a great lover and he greatly loves you. In Christ, God loves you. And unless he supernaturally, by his spirit, lands on you and strengthens you to believe that everything I've said is for naught. We are dependent on him. But the good news is also that he really wants you to know that. And so we can ask him confident, I know I'm asking you to do something that you want to do. You want me to know. He wants you to know how wide and how long and how high and how deep he loves you. He does, and he wants you to know that. So we pray, Lord, strengthen your people, those of us here together with all your saints, to grasp the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love you have for me in Christ. May he strengthen us. What particular situation or context do you need that strengthening? It's worth thinking about, I think. Because I find myself, as I look at this, ready and eager to move along with it. And then a couple times this week, a couple times I'm, I'm ready and I, and I bump into something. I think, hmm, oh, there's the spot where I doubt it. 
I, I hear all that. I'm, I'm getting ready to preach it. I, I buy it all. I buy it, and then I bump into something. Ah, there's the spot. Where's the spot for you where you doubt this? Or may, maybe forget it. I know that you don't doubt it in the, in the sense of disbelieve it. You are a Christian. You are rooted and grounded in love. But where do, where's the spot where you bump into it and say, ah, but it's not that wide. It's not that deep. Not, not there. Maybe, probably for all, some of us, that spot has something to do with pain or fearful uncertainty. I feel like I'm being left out in the cold here or being hung out to dry and this hurts. If God loved me, that wouldn't be. Maybe that's the spot for you. It's withheld some good that sin offers to give you and God looks unloving. For me, and maybe for some others of us, that spot comes along when I find myself in some way, I'll make this generic for a larger number of us, working very hard to make life work or to prove yourself to yourself or to others or to him. Look what I am and look what I do. I should be loved. Oh, the only reason I say that is that I don't think I am. And I think that I can improve on that if I bring along my performance. How much of the performance is driven by, I need to earn God's love? How much of the performance is driven by, I'm not resting in his smile and his well done, good and faithful servant verdict over you? You're only as worthy as your performance. That might tell you right there, that's the spot where I doubt God loves me. When you sin, when you fear, when you get angry, when you're, when you're performing, those may be clues, maybe there's something else, but stop and think, where's the spot where I, I buy all this and I want all this and then I bump into that and I say, I don't think so. Right there, that might be the spot that you, that you pray, Lord, right here, would you pour out your power and strengthen me to believe it in this situation right here. And maybe, depending on, on who you're around and what that thing is, maybe there would be some wisdom in talking to somebody else about that. sharing with somebody else. Pray with me along these lines. Pray for this. Speak the truth of God to me. Would you, would you help me? Remember this from last week. Would you help me come along? Would you help me come along to find out what, what does God really think about me? And would you help pray that home into my heart? May God strengthen you to know something impossible and amazing. In Christ, God loves you. And then lastly, the end, the, the goal that he's working towards. This is all for something. Which again, I find really interesting. I find interesting that, that Christ being pressed into us, that walking in profound union with Christ leads us to love. And then I find interesting that that's leading us somewhere else too. Here's the third point. To know the love of Christ will lead us 
to Christ-like maturity. To know the love of Christ will lead us to Christ-like maturity. The end of verse 19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that, and notice, it's not just so that you'll know that, and it's not just so that you will feel loved. Though certainly he wants us to know it and to feel loved. But he's got something else in mind. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Or some other translations say, so that you may filled up to all the fullness. Or filled up to the measure of all the fullness of God. So the point being, if we move backwards through this phrase, the fullness of God is what God's like. God's nature, God's character. We then, as Christians, are to be filled up with that and to that. Not becoming God. We're not. We're separate. We're different. But becoming like him. Or another way we put this often is Christ-likeness. We don't become Christ. We become like Christ. If I drink water, I drink water, I drink water, I drink water, I partake of water, and my body is a large percentage of water, but I am not water. We take in something, and it, it affects us. We become filled up with it, but we don't become it. What he's talking about is the fullness of God filling us up so we become Christ-like. We become like God's nature is copied over onto us, or to use the analogy from Colossians, it, God's nature is increasingly downloaded into us. And we could look at ourselves and say, you know, the download is like 10% done, 11% done, 12% done. Expected time, you know, 48 years. That's where we are. And the point is, how do I get filled up to the measure of all the fullness? How do I become conformed to Christ? How do I become Christ-like? This grasping of the love of God for me is so that, so that, that maturing process will happen. You put all this together, and I'm going to simplify it so we don't get lost in all the weeds here. If, if Paul's prayer was answered, if what he asked for was to happen, God would work powerfully by his spirit, planting Christ deeply within us so that we would trust him and walk with him. And we would grow in the understanding of God's love and become more like Christ. Grow in the understanding of God's, of God's love and become more like Christ. By that means. We would Love God and love other people because he first loved us and we grasp it more. We, under we understand it more deeply. That's how he wants to mature us. Not just to teach us more things about what we should do, but to show us Jesus and then to alarm us and shock us and woo us and comfort us and bring us to tears with the glorious, gracious magnitude, the scope of how much he loves us. Sinners like us. 
And so we become a people who rest assured in his hands, confident that he has me right now and has everything I need right now, and confident that when he comes again, he will carry me to glory and give me everything that I need. And if I am a person who rests secure, deeply, passionately, widely, long, high, deep, loved by him, <sighs> Pastor Jed has used a, a picture in life training class of the last number of weeks of an, of an empty circle. Remember, you've been there, seen this, and two arrows pointing towards God, pointing towards people. And the point of this is me. And if this is empty, if I'm not filling it with me, I can love God and love other people giving myself away rather than living for myself, the empty circle. That's what happens here. This is another way of saying the same thing. Convinced of God's love for you. You are then convinced, I'm okay. You are, you are wooed and won to him, and, and we always love when loved. We love people who love us. And I look up to him and I say, I, I surrender to you. I give myself to you. I'm, I'm yours. You are a great lover, and you are a great lover of me. I'm yours. What do you want with my life? Here's my life. I give it away. And he says, give it away that way. I say, Yes. We instinctively settle down right next to him and rest and trust him and then walk in a way that's pleasing to him, following him as he then leads us out to love other people with our lives. That's faith working itself out in love, the only thing that counts, says Paul. Loving because he first loved us. So what we need is that God would so powerfully work in us that Christ would become the center of our hearts. And what we need is God would so powerfully work in us that we would actually grasp, increasingly so, the scope of his love for us. And that actually then becomes not just something that feels really good, but that becomes the, the main lever that God uses to move us towards maturity. How beautiful of him. How beautiful of him. We move people with coercion. We move people by, by order, by, by law. And he moves people by love. How beautiful of him. God loves you. May God himself powerfully step into your life, press home to you the beauty of this Jesus and the scope of this love by his spirit and thereby move you to follow his decrees. Let me pray. God, would you strengthen us to know your love for us? We can read and I can talk. But we need you. Apart from you, we can do nothing.
So please, Lord, build your people and build us up in this way. Build us up in, in a way that, that alarms us with your sweetness and your goodness. Just show us your love, please. Thank you for the fact that we can even talk about that and ask for it because it, it really, in some sense, should not be the case that you love us. But you do. Teach us that. In, in the inner places in our hearts, would you teach? There are some here, perhaps, who need this particularly at this moment more than others. I don't, I don't know who that would be, but maybe somebody, Lord. And would you draw near to that person and whisper it in a way that it can't be missed? Wide and long and high and deep is your love for your people. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.